0: Well, this ought to be a fun conversation. I've got Chris Rock. No, not the Chris, that Chris Rock. I've got Chris Rock, who is the CISO of C-Monster. CISO, by the way, C-I-S-O, in case you don't know what that is. That's the chief information security officer of a company called C-Monster, and that's S-I-E, Monster. And Chris, you're also a cyber mercenary. But, as I was just saying before we started recording, you've got about the nicest personality for someone I'd refer to as a cyber mercenary that I've ever met. So, Chris, it's great to have you. Thank you so much, Josh. Lovely to be here. All right. Well, listen, I just want to have you kind of share your story and the work that you do. And I think you're going to be quite interested in this topic. Chris, give us an overview of your impact in the world today.
1: So I am a hacker by trade, so a cyber mercenary, uh, keyboard for hire, and I have essentially have two roles in this world. I um, look for holes in big systems, which I then present in front of the world. So DEF CON is the largest hacking conference in the world, so I present flaws in systems. So I did a talk on how you can kill somebody virtually and how to burst somebody. I did a talk on how to overthrow a government digitally with a mercenary called Simon Mann. Back in 2016, and we used the country of Kuwait uh, as an example. And then last year, I did a talk at DEFCON on how you can circumvent military jammers. That's my what we'd say day job. But my, you know, my other job is I am the CEO of a company called Sea Monster that does um, seam services for large enterprise
0: companies. That's essentially
1: how I split my load between uh, day yeah. and night.
0: Yeah. So, what work do you work then as a consultant for for companies? Uh,
1: Yes, I work for governments, private organizations, and everyone in between. And who hires you and what is their objective? Uh, So there's multi-objectives. So it might be a government needs to pay uh, like a jailer in another country so that um, a female citizen gets uh, feminine hygiene products. It might be a company that suspects their employees of embezzling money. So they get me to go in digitally to find out where the money's going. But stealthily. And so I just get a tap on the shoulder, mostly from Middle East countries, to say what's going on here. And then um then it's my role and my team's role to find out what's going on.
0: That is just fascinating. So naturally, I think we all want to sit back and say, Chris, tell us a story or two.
1: (laughs) I got many stories, Josh. Look, I've got stories that will blow your mind. I've got stories where I've got uh, employees of setting up a, another company within a company moving money from the head company to their company and then you know doing illegal activities and then I've been asked to find out what's going on and then follow their whole lives inside and out what, what they're up to I've seen people escape countries in burkas I've seen people you know on jet skis in the Middle East go from one country to another to escape authorities and I've seen everything Josh everything
0: yeah you know, I think what you're talking about makes it feel like, gosh, we live in kind of a scary world sometimes, and there's so many vulnerabilities among us. I hope you come with a bit of a message of hope.
1: <laughs> uh, unfortunately not, Josh. it's really bad out there. That's why I do these talks at, at Las Vegas Def Con. Is just to show how bad it is. And so I'll find a topic of that interests me, and I'll present it. That birth and death one for me was really bad, and I had to present that. It's essentially, I could kill you, and then take all your assets virtually, of course. And then I own all your assets, and you are now declared dead. I could then create a thousand fake Joshes, and then kill a thousand fake Joshes, and put a, have a life insurance policy on all of them, and then take all that money. And for me, that was a flaw that was not only in the U.S. but it's a it's a worldwide flaw. And then I just wanted to show the world that this is bad because you do not want a million fake people virtually walking around because I mean anyone who's listening in the audience who've got kids you know you buy cars from people and you don't trust them in the first place but at least you can tell the cops here's the email here's this here's there's a person at the other end of it for the police to arrest but if it's a virtual person there's nobody uh you know you're paying for a car that doesn't exist you know the kids pay for a deposit and it's gone there is no coming back from that because it's a fake you've got fake bank accounts fake driver's license fake firearms licenses it's chaos and hence why I presented that topic
0: Yeah. You're the author of the book, The Baby Harvest, how virtual babies became the future of terrorist financing and money laundering. Well, I hope, Chris, that you know, what you're sharing and what you've been sharing stimulates activity, right? And, and it says, oh, well, there's a security gap. Uh, hopefully folks are taking action on what's presented at DEF CON and, and other areas where this is being talked about and revealed and shared.
1: Your assumption is spot on, Josh, but the answer is no, nothing nothing actually changed. In You know, since eight years since I presented that topic, it still exists today, the exact same floor. Nothing has changed that at all. I can still become a doctor online in about five minutes, get their registration number, their office address, and their phone number, and become a doctor to kill somebody off. And I can do be a funeral director in five minutes to do the other part of killing somebody as in burying a person as well. So you can do that online. So 10 minutes, you could kill somebody and officially off the record.
0: Okay. So this is all very fascinating.
1: What do we do with this information you're sharing? The whole idea is to show that the problem, when governments want to go from a paper-based system to an electronic-based system, and they want to make it easy for doctors and funeral directors to go down that path, don't assume that just because you make it easy for doctors and funeral directors, then people like myself, hackers, pen testers, anyone in between, will then look for flaws in that system along the way. So you need to be aware that there's people like me looking at these sort of policy changes and then looking for flaws in these paper-based systems or electronic-based system. We're always looking for something's changed. Let's look at the security of this situation.
0: Yeah. And in terms of like, let's say, say, you know, you're just talking to a room of, we're not in security necessarily. We're just, you know, regular run-of-the-mill business owners doing the best we can, trying to help good people and, you know, make a living. Are there any best practices? Are there any things that you'd recommend? Listen, it, you know if I could to that audience, if I were, if I were to give you a charge to do two to three things in your life, here's what I'd recommend. Is anything come to mind there?
1: yeah there's a lot of things. and I'll go through the list, but the most common one we see is where a hacker will penetrate an email system of your vendor. So if you're buying you know an Oracle subscription, an office subscription, you know yeah. maybe some new uh, office equipment for your business that if you must someone in the business from the payment team must speak directly to the person you're buying and confirm those bank account details because we see, the most common thing we see is scammers hack into the email system of a vendor they'll then send an email to the company saying hey we've changed our bank account details please pay here and not here instead the company then will transfer that money you know the whatever figure that is to the fake vendor and the money is then gone completely gone so always do that two check system for any payments have somebody from you know payroll or accounts receivable um, make those phone calls if you get an email with an invoice on it, don't use the phone number on the invoice. Go through an outside channel and verify That's the biggest saving of a business is make sure you ring out what we call out of bounds, that vendor, to make sure you're paying the right account. That's the first thing that I would suggest yeah. for the businesses. Second thing is um, something called 1Password, or there's a last thing called LastPass. Make all your users use this uh, software so they don't have the same password for all their systems. So you know you might have a a user at work and also at home. They may use uh, uh, let's say they use a Sony for example, Sony PlayStation. They might have a password. They use the same password at work. Sony gets compromised. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that user password can be used for your work. So make sure your staff use different passwords for work at home. They don't even need to know their password. It's just stored in a wallet. And also two-factor authentication for everything. Uh, I can't stress that enough. 2FA for any work-related thing is, in this day and age, it's a must-have. And if it doesn't have 2FA, it's not worth using. It's just wait till 2FA is available.
0: Are we, um, and I've seen some headlines, I haven't read the stories yet, but I think, was it Google or someone who's, you know, really trying to champion, um, and maybe this is well underway, but are we going to get to a point where we can kind of evolve from passwords? We're getting there now very slowly. I mean, we've been,
1: you know, as a hacker myself, Mercer, I've been using user password for a long time. Uh, you know, I've been doing that for 20 years and now coming up against 2FA over the last probably eight years. To answer your question, it's evolving, Josh, but very slowly.
0: What What is the future? Where do we go from beyond passwords?
1: That's a really good question. I think tokens is probably the best one. So you have a token on your like phone, like, like you probably, a lot of your users will use things like authenticator apps and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You don't use a password. It's essentially, it's a password or token that's good for 30 seconds and then moves on to the next one. I don't think passwords are actually required. I think the token is the best way.
0: So if someone's not familiar with what I've got through LastPass, they've got you know now a separate token app that, that I use. Can you explain that just a little bit more? Because if that's an option, generally, would you say, well, that's a little bit more secure than a password? Uh, the answer is yes, because it's always changing. It's not a static
1: thing. It's not something you write down on a piece of paper. It's not something that's sitting on a, a word document on your computer. It's not something that you give to their, your kids to <laughs> access something, and then all of a sudden, all their friends have got it as well. It's essentially a it's a number that changes every thirty seconds. It can be anywhere yeah. between six and nine digits. And then it's not good. In the same token, I think credit cards are stupid as well. I don't think we should be using credit card numbers as well. Uh, I think we should have, I think we should be using an account ID. And then we have 20 virtual uh, credit cards that are only good for one use on on every card. But businesses want credit cards. So they're on file. So you can do repeat charges and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. For me, it's, uh, we we don't need that anymore.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. In fact, I've got the Apple card and this is the very first card I've gotten. There's no number on it. And I'm like, I don't need a number on you there. I'm just going to swipe it, or you know, use the chip anyway, or you know, just make a virtual transaction. I'm like, why are? Why do we still have numbers? It, it again, that's it's silly. It's silly. You, Josh, you go to Hawaii on holidays
1: and you go to a hotel and you give them the number. You give, you know, at reception, and all of a sudden yeah. that number is written down on a piece of paper and given somewhere yeah. else and sold on the black market. It, we don't need. I mean, that's old school technology. We really need to move from that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah. You know, I think you remember you need a number with the raised numbers so you could, you know, slide it through oh, the yeah. credit card. thing. <laughs> like we haven't used those in 20 some years. So you don't need a number with raised, you know, all that stuff on there. So only okay. a backup if the other stuff doesn't work, I guess. But uh, so, Chris, how can I help you? I mean, who can I help connect you with or, you know, who might be listening to us right now um, that, that should engage with you? And what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So great question, Josh. So how we got into the SIEM business, we're hackers by trade and, and a seam is essentially a piece of software uh, that monitors inside your company's environment. So the common flaw that we saw when we were hacking into companies was we'd hack into a company and we'd produce a report maybe a month later saying we hacked in here and we did X, Y, Z. And the company would say, we didn't even know you are inside. We had no visibility into our own network to say what you're up to. And then that's where we then went into the SIEM business. So we created Software so that you can actually show people that if someone gets in, you can actually follow their path. So if you're thinking the physical security world where you've got proximity cards and you know door locks and door codes, in the event of a breach and cameras, you can actually follow the path. You can see someone swiped in with a, a you know stolen proximity card. There they are on camera. XY, they went into the uh, you know staff room, they stole some cakes out of the fridge and you actually have some evidence. So this SIEM software essentially does that evidence trail it's used for things like forensic purposes and also it clobbers attacks as well. So if anyone's in the SIEM business, we created this thing to essentially protect people's networks because we we're we the perfect you know person to come up with this software because we hacked into companies. And so we're essentially creating what we call a blue team tool to show people what we were doing inside the network.
0: And again, S-I-E-M, um, what does that stand for? Yeah, Security Information Event Management.
1: So it essentially, you know, you've, you've got a computer, Josh, right in front of you right now. It creates logs. Where do those logs go? You probably don't know, probably nowhere. But in a business situation, those logs go to a central scene and then that collects all events from routers firewalls printers yeah. the works and then it analyzes that and looks for flaws. so josh if you click on a link and it's a ransomware link you know the scene will get a record of that and then the scene can make a choice do we then just kick josh off the network so he can no longer create any more havoc when i say josh it's someone that you've clicked on an email of course and then the scene will actually make a decision let's remove josh's computer from the network let's notify the IT guys, that there's a something on Josh's machine. And let's take a forensic image of Josh's machine so that we can take it to the next level. I lawyers and all that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, Chris Rock, let me share again. You're the CISO of CMonster, S I E M Monster, 1 M, CMonster.com. Uh, and then your personal website is Chris Rock. Hacker.com. Chris has been a fantastic, fascinating conversation. Great having you here. And uh, is there anything else you'd recommend someone that's been listening to our conversation of kind of their next steps?
1: Uh, The only other thing that I missed out, Josh, is VPNs. Make sure that your staff members within the company use VPNs both at work and home. So if they're using a work computer, VPN also at home. So they're not using your, you know, they're not using company information at coffee shops on free Wi-Fi. So use a VPN. A VPN essentially protects the traffic between your machine and, and your company's network. And they're very cheap.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, it. VPNs for me are a little confusing in that I just see so much debate about. Oh, use this one. No, don't use that one. They're hackers. Use this one. No, don't use that. Like, just it's been confusing for me to know who a good VPN provider is.
1: Any commercial VPN provider based in the US is fine. If you don't use anything, you're essentially, you think of a hose and water. If you don't have the hose, everyone can see the water. Who cares who makes the hose? We can get into a debate of you know who makes the best hose or whatever. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you're using a VPN is protecting data from your company's network. Go with a, you know any top five US VPN provider, um, okay. Surf Patrol, Norton, who cares? Uh, they all do a NordVPN. They all do a great job.
0: Oh, okay. That's really because I I went down that rabbit hole. And unfortunately, I think there are a lot of YouTubers that get paid by certain providers. And so then they start putting out misinformation and stuff. It's okay. That Thank you. That's great to hear. And the VPN, would you recommend that for folks that are doing all their company business from home as well? Yes, it definitely. I mean, a
1: home user are using their on their own network. is probably yeah. safe. But as soon as you leave the home with your laptop, and I use VPNs on my phone as well, then essentially anyone can then see those communications go between yourself and uh, your company's network, or even personal. If you want to protect your banking information, yeah. you know your emails, I would recommend a VPN. Because if you travel overseas, you can't assume the same laws are going to protect you in the US. You, know, you go any country in Europe, You know, you're going to get done over. I guarantee your credit card is going to get done over. Your information is going to get stolen. It's just, yeah. I travel the world a million times. And if I don't have a VPN, I know about it.
0: So on your phone in particular, like the same thing, like especially if you're connecting to public Wi-Fi's, Make sure that you've got a VPN installed on your phone because you're going to be, especially if you're, I guess, maybe, I don't know if it's any more safe or less safe on, you know, your cellular connection as opposed to, you know, if you're starting to join hotspots and Wi-Fi's and that's certainly a little bit more vulnerable, right?
1: You're spot on. You're spot on, Josh. But the beauty is,
0: I mean, we trust
1: AT&T, we trust Spectrum, we trust Verizon in the U.S. But when you leave, you know, the U.S. and you go to another country, you can't assume that that government is not listening to all comms, hence why encryption Mm -hmm. by VPN.
0: Yeah. Chris Rock, fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, your website's cmonster.com. We've got these links in the show notes. You just click around, you'll find that. And of course, your personal website, chrisrockhacker.com. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Josh. Thank you so much.